Welcome to worship today. I'm Reverend Nicole Riley, the lead and teaching pastor here, and we are finishing up our series on words to build a life on. Over these last weeks, Pastor Michelle and I have been talking about this is the greatest in the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today we're going to finish up our series. Worship looks a little different than it normally does today, because today what we're going to do is we're going to hear from some different folks among us who are going to share how they live out these three simple rules. We'll hear from Dr. Jeff Luther, who will talk about do no harm. We'll hear from Rocher Vermach, who's the executive director of Family Promise, and he'll be talking about do good. And then we'll hear from our own Marty Smith, who will share with us about stay in love with God. So let's start out with Jeff Luther. Let's welcome our first speaker. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, when I was first asked to address this topic, do no harm, I first thought, oh, it's the whole doctor thing. Because um, as some of you probably know, uh, there's maybe the most uh, commonly cited element of the Hippocratic Oath in, in it, Latin is primum non nocere, which translated means first, do no harm. And so that's where my mind went. And then Nicole said, oh no, here's what Wesley said about doing no harm. And it's about so much more. I, I kind of try to translate Wesley's version of do no harm into do no harm to yourself, do no harm to others, and do no harm to your relationship with God. And that's a lot broader topic than just not hurting people when they come to see you in the doctor's office. So I thought, well, how does this um, apply to my work and my daily life? Um, certainly, the original don't do any harm still stands. As a physician, I try not to give a medication or do a procedure that's harmful or not in the patient's best interest. But doing no harm also is in how I treat people and not treat people with medicine, but treat people as human beings. And so as a physician, I've tried to make it mean how do I get to know them? How do I find out what matters to them, what their priorities are, what their life is like? Um, how, how are they as people? It also involves defying negative stereotypes. You might not have noticed this, but um, sometimes physicians are thought of as being really full of themselves and really um, too hurried, and they don't listen very well, and they don't, certainly don't communicate very well. And the doctor leaves the office, and what did he say? I'm not sure. Um, so how do I counter that? Um, first, I try to sit and listen. So sit down and listen before talking. And when I visit patients in the hospital, my rule and my rule for my residents is you go in, you pull up a chair, and you sit down. You don't stand nervously for 30 seconds at the end of the bed and then leave. You sit and you talk, but first you listen. Um, you show... You, you, Try to show humility and respect for the people you're working with. And even down to my, my little, we'll call it a game because that makes it sound uh, insincere, but trying to learn the names of the um, maintenance staff in the basement of the hospital that I'm sometimes in the elevator with and I pass on my way to lunch every day so I can actually exchange pleasantries instead of just, hey, you, or whatever, but actually know, know who I'm talking to. Um, the de all of this defying negative stereotypes got me to thinking that that's a little bit what I feel we're called to do as Christians because it's hard to pick up a newspaper or turn on the news and not see examples of things that are 
referred to as Christian that don't reflect how I see Jesus as wanting us to live. And instead of allowing Christianity to be co-opted by certain factions, how do we set examples in the world, in the community, that take that back, that do try to emulate how Jesus would have us live? Now, I was telling Nicole when she asked me to, to do this, it's really hard to put thoughts together for a topic like this and not sound like I've got it all down because I fail often and sometimes spectacularly. Um, but I try to have an idea of what I'm trying to do, where I'm trying to go, what I'm aiming for. And that got me thinking about Father's Day. It's Father's Day. And to me, being a father was failing from time to time, but trusting that over the long haul, I'd have more successes than failures and it would work out. I think it has. Um, and especially this week, we just spent the last three days up on Sunnyvale visiting Jacob and his new wife. I'm still getting used to calling Julia that. It's kind of wonderful. Um, but they're in their new home, and we're helping them get settled. And while we were there, he started his orientation for his medical residency. Uh, he um, is at Kaiser in San Jose, and they have two or three weeks of orientation before he starts work. And so there's all that excitement. And it got me thinking, well, I'm teaching a residency program. That's my full-time gig. And all of our brand-new residents start tomorrow and with their orientation. And they're gonna show up 8.30 in the morning. A month ago, they were students. Now everyone calls them doctor, and they don't know a thing about what they're gonna be doing. They don't know any of us. They're gonna be excited and bright-eyed and nervous, and um, they're gonna learn over the next three years from what they see and from our examples. So me and my 11 partners are examples, but also the examples of the nurses and the physical therapists and the pharmacists and the receptionists and everyone they come in contact with. We'll be giving them examples of how not to do harm. And sometimes they'll give examples of how to do harm. There are bad examples out there. What I coach them to do is learn from the bad examples too. And this is stuff we do in life as well. You can see how you don't want to be just as easily as you can see how you do want to be. And, um, so as I sort of came to the end of these thoughts and, and what, how does what I do with, in work translate to what I'm trying to do in life and what the rest of us are trying to do in life is setting examples. And um, others will learn by all of our examples, whether it's you know, holding a door open for someone in a crowded grocery store or running after someone who dropped their keys or doing a good deed without being recognized for it and taking quiet joy in that. Others will learn from our examples. And so the, I think the charge for all of us is what kind of examples do we want to set? How do we want to go through life not doing harm to ourselves through how we live, not doing harm to one another as they're going through their lives, and not doing harm to our relationship with God? So my thoughts. Thank you. I'd like to invite Dr. Roche Vermock up to share next with us. Thank you. Uh, to everybody out there in the cloud and the sky, welcome. The second principle, do good. Two little words, but so many infinite possibilities of what it means to do good. So Pastor Michelle said, answer some questions. The first one she said is, how would you demonstrate the care and the concern for the physical, the spiritual, and the practical needs of others? Now, as pastors, when we teach and we do sermons and Bible study, 
there's two aspects. The first one is the teachings of the Bible, the teachings of Jesus. For us as theologians, there's what do we believe and what's the right way to believe and the right things to believe. And in theology, we call that the dogma, the teachings of the church. And we look often at the teachings of the church, and sometimes that tears churches apart because Jesus said this is acceptable and that's not acceptable. And it divides Christianity and it divides our society. But lest we forget, there's a second part, and that is the praxis. The practice of what we believe. And that's what half of the Gospels are about. Not just Jesus going around as a teacher, but Jesus going around to do good. How did he do it? He was attentive to the people with whom he traveled. The disciples, the women who were marginalized, the sinners, the outcasts that were excluded from going to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. Jesus listened. He looked. He saw. He was there with them. He was hungry with them, and sometimes they feasted. He saw their brokenness, and this is why so many of the stories are about Jesus healing people and giving life back to them and quality. And for me, I think the important part is when we listen like Christ listened and we see like He saw, and we drive in our community, and we hear on KHTS or in the Signal or on Facebook or I see something, Step out. Step out of your comfort zone because that's what Christ had to do sometimes. To go and do good. To be there for someone who is hungry. For someone who is physically sick. For somebody who is struggling. So if that's the theology and the gospel, what does it mean for you and me as the followers of the Christ? Step out. Step out in faith. And step into the presence of someone. Jesus did it. He was there when Lazarus died. He was there for him to resurrect him. He was there for the pain and the brokenness and the hurt of the world. He came to show what it means to do good. And we too can do good. We have practical ways at Family Promise. To continue on a Sunday to provide groceries to the families that live in our transitional house in Castaic. On a Wednesday, to prepare a meal or go buy a meal and go deliver and drop it off for the 10 people in our house. Be there for a worn-out mother who is raising two kids and has no time for herself. Become a tutor. It can be online. Everybody knows how to use Zoom this day. Be there for a child that is struggling because they have fallen behind in COVID because the only Wi-Fi they had was outside in their car, outside of a hotel where there was free Wi-Fi. You have practical ways to be Christ and to do good. Get your friends together and say, won't you help me collect the toiletries and the supplies and the donation and gift cards that we can practically step in and help families out? So, how have I experienced this congregation do good? We see, have seen it over 10 years. 
In June of 2011, our program launched. Your congregation was one of the first ones to sign up with Larry and Terry Comp to shelter families every night, to welcome them for nine years in a row until we closed in March 2020 due to the pandemic. You were there to overnight say, this is your place of safety. I deal with all the finances of Family Promise. What we receive from you through the Advent offering and through the donations of your congregants is the single largest donation of Family Promise. Did you know that? What your congregation gives and your congregants sustains Family Promise. What you have done for us is be able from June 2011 to, February, to March last year to shelter 113 families over that nine years and give 76,000 meals. What you have done is for us as of last night when I booked my third, third family for the week to shelter 87 families for 411 days in motels the past six years. We have three families in motels right now. When I leave the 1030 service, I'm going over to Via Princesa to check a mother into her own one-bedroom unit because we were able to pay her deposit and pay her month's rent that she is not homeless. And the last thing, you have been there for us to shelter families in our transitional house in September last year in Castaic, 10 families. Family number seven graduated yesterday and found housing for the next three years. I want to close. Wesley said, do all the, do, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all of the places you can, and all the times you can, to all the people. Not just some, not just that look like me and have my same orientation and my same belief system. All means all. Isn't that true? Is that what you teach? Isn't that the slogan that you see when you drive past this church? Do good to all. And when does it stop? No, Wesley says it doesn't. As long as ever you can. May God make these words true for you and your congregation. Amen. When I think about my devotional life, the lyrics to the Beatles song, The Long and Winding Road, spring to mind. I promise to give you the compressed version today. <laughs> I was raised and confirmed in the United Presbyterian Church that was within, within walking distance of the house where I grew up in a suburb of Pittsburgh. I prayed a lot as a child. Mostly, I prayed that my dad, who was an alcoholic, would stop drinking. As it turned out, he eventually did take his last drink just weeks before he passed away. Now this, of course, was not the outcome I had in mind. And in my adolescent brain, I thought that one, I either hadn't prayed in the right way, or two, God was too busy. 
it wasn't until many years later that I came to understand that God had a much broader and deeper purpose in mind. In 1964, my mom and I moved to California. We settled in Glendale and joined the First United Methodist Church of Glendale, a large church, and at the time they had a large and active college young adult group that I joined. And they also had a really large choir. And I thought, with that many other people singing, my voice couldn't do too much damage. <laughs> so I joined the choir as well. And I found that singing opened a new door to exploring and feeling a sense of spirituality for me. My first husband, Rob Parker, and I were married in that church in 1973. I then went through a 10-year period where I didn't attend church at all. My husband and I both had full-time careers, and we had a photography business that we ran on weekends. If you ever attended Saga Speedway on Saturday night, you might have seen him running around in the infield in a green shirt taking pictures. I still believed and I still prayed, but over time I could feel my relationship with God beginning to atrophy, and the fault was entirely mine. I wasn't exercising my responsibility in the relationship. When our son Rex was about three and a half, Rob and I decided mutually that we needed to find a church and begin establishing ourselves again and Rex within a family of faith. And we found Valencia United Methodist. Over the years, Rob served on committees. I was active in the Sunday school program and Rex did begin to flourish. And whether he realizes it or not, he's still flourishing. Early on in Pete Falbo's tenure with us, we began the practice of small group studies. And there, another door to exploring and growing my faith was thrown open. Reading and discussing with other adults made me aware of how little I really understood about my faith and what it really means to be a Christian. This process continues and is ongoing. My Thursday morning ladies small group keeps me on track. Over the years, this church has supported Rex and me in sorrow when my husband Rob passed away as a result of alcoholism-related disease. They celebrated joy with us when Rex and I joined our little family and blended it with my second husband, Ray Smith's family. And they supported us again in sorrow when Ray passed away suddenly in 2014 after having had surgery. The curse of the notes. <laughs> A number of years ago, I was given several daily devotional books. January 1st, I choose which one it is I'm going to read and devote my study to each day and journal about. These books have been read 
and reread. They are written in and dog-eared and have post-it notes sticking out at odd angles. Even though I have read and reread these passages and the passages from the Bible that relate to them many times, I always glean something new to journal about. The common thread that seems to run through everything is that God is and always has been present in all of my circumstances and in all of Rex's circumstances in ways that we can't begin to imagine and that we never will definitely understand. Let me close with a brief quote from a recent passage. Bring, the God, the, bring to God the sacrifice of your precious time. This creates a sacred space permeated with God's presence and God's peace. And we could probably also add, and stay in love with God. Thank you very much. Well, I want to finish up our series by uh, telling you a story because we have been spending all this time talking about how to live in a very practical way, a way that honors God, a way that's simple and doable by us all. Um, and I want to end with this story about this. So in, in the 1700s in England, there were two very famous preachers. They were very well-known. Everybody knew their names. They lived in the same area. They worked in the same area. A word of love and a word of forgiveness and a word of hope. Now, fast forward today. These two preachers, only one of them is well-known, and the other one, hardly anyone knows his name at all. Well, who are they? The one who is well-known still is John Wesley. And the one who hardly anyone remembers is George Whitfield. Now, John Wesley is the founder of what became the United Methodist Church, but there's a lot more that made it so he's known today. Uh, it's interesting, though, because if you were alive at that time, you would have thought George Whitfield was the one who was rewriting Christian history. He was the better preacher. He was the better communicator. He really was the one who was drawing people. But Wesley was the one who his work had such an effect that every country on the earth has been affected by what he did. So, what did Wesley do that Whitfield didn't do? George Whitfield talked about it this way. He said, my brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined them to small groups, they called them societies, and thus preserved the fruit of his labor. This I neglected, and my people are a rope of sand. What a vivid image. An image for pouring your life into something but seeing it was slipping through your fingers. This is because Wesley knew that every faith needed structure. It needed discipline. It needed tangible ways of living it out. 
And so Wesley gathered people together every week for instruction and prayer, and he put together these general rules, these general guidelines. We call them the three simple rules. Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. We have talked about them over these last three weeks as words to build a life on. So this is the great commandment. The way Jesus called us to live, he called us to love God, and he called us to love each other. Jesus sought to take what was a very complicated faith at his time and make it simple, but not easy. And Wesley sought do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Our prayer is that over these weeks, you have heard things, and if you've missed any of the weeks, you can find them on YouTube, that help you live out your faith in an everyday, practical, life-changing way. Because when you do that, you will find words to build a life on. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.